0: Do you understand the forces shaping events in the world around you? Do you want to know the answers or just the issues? Do you know the secrets of prosperity economics? Live from Salt Lake City, the free capitalist himself, Rick Kerber.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Free Capitalist Radio. This is Rick Kerber. We're live in Salt Lake City. Today is a good day. It's Friday. hope you're having a good day. I hope you're awake and I hope your brain's on. If not, wake up, start thinking. We've got Les McGuire with us today. Les, welcome back. Thanks. Great to be here. We're going to talk today about the Free Capitalist Project a little bit. We're going to talk about Milton Friedman's Capitalism and Freedom uh... we had a good show yesterday had a good show the day before less uh... it's exciting to have you here for those who want to call in Ogden weber north davis county is six seven oh five eight five five down south provo orham utah county four seven oh five eight five five and salt lake county is two five four five eight five five all right a lot going on today did you see the headlines in the news yesterday less the, the two things caught my attention the first was this uh... ninth circuit court of appeals that ruled that uh... Parents weren't the exclusive providers of sex education for their kids, and they had no right to uh, uh, sue the school for giving their kids a survey that included uh, uh, now these are grade school age children, okay, first grade through fifth grade. Uh, questions like, do you feel a compulsive de- desire to touch yourself uh, or your private parts, or touch touch others, or are you are you afraid to talk to others for fear that they want to touch you, and and all kinds of things, and 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 the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said that the public school's own agenda had social value and the parents didn't have any right, okay, that trumped the agenda of a public school. Did you see that in the news?
2: That's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, Does it remind you of Atlas Shrugged a little bit?
2: Well, it makes me think of John Adams, second president of the United States, who, uh, talking about public education, said that public education has three purposes, and he was in, uh, in agreement with the other founding fathers. <laughs> And he said the three purposes of public education were one to teach religion, two to teach morality, and three to teach knowledge. And you know, sex education was not one of John Adams' high priorities <laughs> uh, for public education. Well,
1: you know, and it's interesting because there's a lot of people who are going to say, "Oh man, I can't believe the schools asking my kids question about sex, etc." But the thing that, that which bothered me tremendously, but the thing that just floored me was that we have a, a Circuit Court of Appeals in the United States who votes unanimously that the agenda. Of public education trumps the because of the social value, the inherent social value of the agenda of public schools, it trumps the parents' right to instruct or raise their children it, or in other words, that the parents don't have an exclusive right to raise their children that supersedes this uh, public school agenda. That was just crazy. Well you
2: know the founders um, Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence said that we have certain um, there are certain self-evident truths. Um, and that certain rights were unalienable, which mean, which unalienable, if you look it up in the old 1828 Webster's Dictionary, says cannot be taken away and cannot be given away, which I thought was interesting. An unalienable right not only can't be taken, it, it can't be given even if you want to give it away. But among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, the, uh, the founders were very adamant that the purpose of government, was not to bestow rights upon people. The founder said people have rights given to them by God. (laughs) These rights are unalienable. They can't be taken away, they can't be given away. And the purpose of government is not to give rights, it's to protect the rights that people already have. And then I I hear about this unanimous decision of of this uh, court saying that the government's agenda supersedes the rights of individuals, families, parents on any issue. I, I mean, the fact that it's about sex ed is makes it emotional and interesting, but I don't care what the issue is. It, it could be about anything. The fact that it's about sexual education is not, to me, the, the big thing. The big thing is that the government's agenda supersedes that of an individual when the, the people who created our government said, no, government, can't give rights it only protects rights
1: that were already there to begin with yeah and that that was a revolutionary thought in their day and it's becoming revolutionary in our day because so many people kinda look to the government to give or take away rights Uh, you know we promised our listeners that we were going to talk about Milton Friedman's book capitalism and freedom Uh, those who listened on the Monday show we offered to give this book away for free to anybody who called and we'll do that each Monday we'll talk about a book that we we want to talk about later in the week but uh, that what you just said is a good introduction to uh, uh, Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman, you know, talks about the same thing, and he says, um, in reference to uh, President Kennedy's famous quote, "Ask not what your country can do for you; ask what you can do for your country." This is right in the introduction to uh, Milton Friedman's book. Now, listen to this, folks. This is really interesting. This is the viewpoint of a capitalist. Okay, he says, "It is strike. It is a striking sign." of the temper of our times that the controversy about this passage centered on its origin and not on its content. Neither half of the statement expresses a relation between the citizen and his government that is worthy of the ideals of free men in a free society. I mean that that statement's like um, you know the golden statement. Uh, uh, Mer- I can't tell you how many times I've heard that said. Ask not what you can do or what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Well, it's as if
2: there are only two choices. I either need to decide what my country can do for me, or I need to decide what I can do for my country. Yeah. And Friedman is saying there's a third alternative. Maybe you shouldn't
1: be doing anything for your country and your country shouldn't be doing anything for you. Maybe there's a third question to right, be asked here. Right. In, the, in the sense, not that we shouldn't be loyal or, or patriotic, but in the sense that, that we shouldn't be looking to the government as the grantor of rights and freedoms. And well, Yeah, I mean, he says that,
2: I mean, the two phrases, just to clarify to the listeners, um, ask not what your country can do for you well that implies that the job of the government is to bestow rights on people. Yes. And, he, and Friedman says no free men in a free society don't subscribe to that the other half says what can I do for my country meaning that the jobs of that the role of the citizen is to somehow
1: support the government right, we're, we're servants of the we're government, servants
2: of the government. Right. and he says no free men in a free society are not there for the purpose of supporting a government and the government's not
1: there for the purpose of giving them rights. Yeah. Yesterday I was trying to uh, help our uh, listeners think critically about the weapons of mass destruction argument in Iraq and I wasn't defending the administration or, or attacking the administration it, I wasn't support I wasn't trying to say the government's great and, and we should support everything they do or geez, the government's horrible look what they've done to us we're victims I was saying let's think critically about the facts and there were people that flew off the handle literally if you heard some of the calls yesterday they were so threatened by the idea that we should think for ourselves they wanted to put my commentary into one camp or the other and, and the truth of the matter is, um, there's another camp, and that camp is the free man's camp. Here's what here's what well, pe-
2: Rick, people have a hard time getting beyond the issue at hand and thinking about the principle of what's going on. Right. And I I was listening to you yesterday, and you asked a few callers, a, like really specific questions that weren't that difficult. I didn't think to understand, and. Rather than answering the question you asked, they wanted to go back to the issue in terms of, the, is the government handling it right? Right. And the question you were asking was not an issue question. It was a principle question. Yeah. Like, let's look beyond this one issue that's one inch in front of our face, so to speak, and let's look at the broader principle. Because guess what? When the issue that you're so hyped up about right now goes away, there'll be another one. Yep. And if you want to be prepared to deal not just with the current issue, but with any issue that may come, the best way to prepare yourself is understand the underlying principle, not sit down and analyze issue by issue in the absence of principle. Right.
1: Define yourself by issues instead of defining yourself by principles is crazy. Right. Because then you can be deceived so easily. You know, a lot of people criticize the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence because
2: there are certain issues that they don't address. But they were not designed to address issues. They were designed to lay down principles and processes which, if followed, would be effective in talking about any issue. And and people say, well, they didn't they didn't talk about women's suffrage, and they didn't talk about slavery, and they didn't talk about you know human rights and universal health insurance. People don't say that, (laughs) but uh, that was a
1: joke. I heard it. I heard
2: it. (laughs) (laughs) But they say they didn't talk about these issues. Therefore, the founding fathers didn't get it. No, they got it perfectly. But they didn't want the founding documents to be issue specific documents. They wanted them to lay down principles and processes which, if followed, would successfully resolve any issue that that comes
1: along. And they have successfully resolved many of these issues. Exactly, exactly. Here's what Friedman says. He says, to the free man, the country is the collection of individuals who compose it, not something over and above them. He is proud of the common heritage and loyal to common traditions, but he regards government as a means, an instrumentality, neither a grantor of favors and gifts, nor a master or god to be blindly worshipped and served. The free man recognizes no national goal except as it is the consensus of the goals that the citizens severally serve. He recognizes no national purpose except as it is the consensus of the purposes for which the citizens severally strive. Now, that strikes me because in our, in our, in the last 80 years, this, this idea of public good. And public purpose and public goals and national goals. It's like who, who is it that makes national goals, right? I mean, you know, somebody just brainstorms them. Some politician starts to talk about them. We we pass a tax to make us all pay for them. But but the the truth of the matter, there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as the public. Right. You know, there's no one person who can represent the public. Right. And and a free man says, look, the best way to represent the public is to represent the freedoms of each individual that make up the public and if each individual's freedoms are protected universally doesn't matter uh uh, uh what what qualities that individual has mm-hmm. they they don't earn rights right. they you know they, they don't get rights because of their skin color mm-hmm. they don't get rights because of their wealth status they get rights period and the government protects those rights and then free people jostle and think and compete and and explore ideas and that is how you you, you pursue national goals right that that's a very different worldview than the worldview we hear on national news every night right it, you know Milton
2: Friedman make made a really interesting point that I actually had not thought about before um, before reading his book he said that when you protect freedom you actually are protecting minorities and it was int- it's interesting, and he even points out that oftentimes minority groups, be it racial minority, religious minority, um, <coughs> sexual minority, whatever it is, um, minority groups are often the ones who clamor the loudest for special treatment from government, who who want special rights. Like I don't I don't just want the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I also want the right to retirement when I get old, and I also want the right to health insurance if I get sick, and I also want the right to you know. Clean water, and I also want the right to this and, and to that. A lot, they they want lots of rights that are not given in the founding documents, that, that are not um, unalienable in the words right. of the founding fathers. Right. And but in order to get those rights, they have to. Fo- I mean, how is this funded? Let's say that free wa- Let's say that clean water is a fundamental right of Americans. If people believe that, <laughs> well, how can we just snap our fingers and magically we've got. Clean water. How do we get the clean water? It takes money. It takes resources. It takes time and energy. How do we get that? Well, if it's a, if one citizen thinks it's his right to have that thing, then he wants, in kind of a, in kind of a metaphorical way, he wants to hold a gun to another citizen and say, "It's your duty to provide it to me." And if you don't, I'm putting you in jail and taking your stuff. That's right. It's your duty to provide what my fundamental right is. Yeah. And 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 Milton Friedman says. The irony is that the special, the quote-unquote minority groups or special interest groups who oftentimes clamor the loudest for these, you know, interesting types of rights are the ones whose rights will be most quickly taken away if socialism prevails. Because you made a comment earlier like, is there one person who can represent the public? Well guess what? If there was one person who represented the public, guess who that person would be? Would not be a minority. It would be the average person. Well the average person in this country would be a white wasp you know white Anglo-Saxon Protestant and that person does not that if if we let the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants make the rules for everybody, guess who's most likely to get left behind yeah.
1: people who don't fit into that category when you, when you think about principles it, it starts to become much more clear if you think about issues we all get ourselves emotionally worked up etc nothing protects the freedom of the minority like protecting freedom for everybody. Let's let's take a phone call. We've got Brandon, he's been waiting for a minute. Brandon's from Salt Lake City. Brandon, you wanted to recommend a book. Welcome to Free Capitalist Radio.
3: Yeah, hi. Um I have to say guys, this is the first time I've uh, tuned in to you guys. I, there was another show on previously at this time on K Talk before. And uh but I am so thrilled to hear you guys talking and hear your uh uh your philosophy and, and that this show is, is talking all about the philosophy of government what it's all about because I think it's a it's high time. It's past due. Um so I commend you for that. Um, Thanks, but I, Thanks, Brian. And, and I, I think Milton Friedman has a lot of good things to say, but I, I wonder if you guys have um uh read anything or looked at anything by um folks like um Uh, Ludwig von Mises or Murray Rothbard and stuff like that.
1: You bet. Brandon, if you can stay with us through the break, we'd love to talk with you about that, but like the Foundation for Economic uh, Education fee and they publish a lot of that. uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Stay with us through the break. This is Free Capitalist Radio on Talk AM
0: 630. Thanks.
1: Welcome back to Free Capitalist Radio. This is Rick Kerber. I am the Free Capitalist. I'm here with my great friend and fellow Free Capitalist, Les McGuire. Now, Les, I forgot to give you a great uh, introduction. I want everybody to know Les has got a master's in business from BYU. He's an economist uh, and philosopher extraordinaire in my opinion. Uh, Les is also a founding partner of a financial firm called Ingenuity in Utah County with offices up in Salt Lake, uh, in St. George. Uh, Where else do you have offices, Les? Provost, Salt Lake, and St. George, sorry about that, I uh, didn't have your volume up by so everybody could hear you. So um, We've got uh, Brandon on the line with us, Brandon was with us through the break, Brandon, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, so tell me, uh, you're reading some of this crazy uh, uh, literature out there, uh, how, how did you get uh, the motivation to start reading about uh, people like Milton Friedman and, and the authors that are published in the Foundation for Economic Education, I mean this is crazy, we thought we were the only two people on the planet who were reading it.
3: Well I'm, I, got, I had the same impression, that's why I was so thrilled to hear you on the radio today. Um, no, actually, you know, I'm 31 years old. I'm a product of the public school system. Um, and everything that I have learned has been, uh, self-taught. You know, certainly it wasn't going to come to me through the, through the public education or the, or the mainstream media or anything like that. Now, now
1: wait a minute. You're telling me that you graduated public school without ever reading Adam Smith?
3: <laughs> Go figure, right? <laughs> uh, well, you know, the thing is, is that, um, it, it just, Struck me as interesting because I took uh, I've only taken one economics course. I'm a Brigham Young University myself, and um, I was kind of uh, it always left me with questions, and it made me wonder uh, what's what's going on. And I uh, I just started reading different things. and you know, all the internet is a fantastic resource, and uh, and I just started educating myself um, about the thing. That, the frustration I have is you know I thought about becoming quote an economist like your friend there, but what does that mean anymore? You know, if you're just going to subscribe to the to the uh, neo-Keynesian kind of uh, BS, that's <laughs> excuse me for, for yeah. saying that. But um, you know,
2: Brandon, my recommendation was would be don't become an economist, become a capitalist.
3: Well, there you go. What what,
1: what do you do, Brandon?
3: Uh, currently, I just I work as a, a translator. I uh, I just I'm um, trying to get myself through school, so I do translation work.
1: Well, um,
3: we but. Have- I, Go ahead.
1: We'd love to hear from you more often. We, we're constantly associating with like-minded people. Uh, not only do we appreciate your call today, but go to FreeCapitalist.com, drop us a message. Uh, we're always engaged in some uh, uh, capitalist venture, and uh, we love to associate with like-minded folks. So, so thank you very much for your call, and uh, keep listening.
3: Okay, I will. Thank you very much.
1: You know, Les, uh, when I met you, uh, you talked about you were you were doing kind of non-traditional financial planning and you talked about your experience when you studied ec- An-
2: anti-financial planning.
1: Anti-financial planning, right. Plan- planning is not a word I like to yeah, use. Yeah, it's <laughs> too close to centralized planning, right? Exactly. But you said something really interesting. You said that when you went to school uh, and you were getting your master's degree, you would take personal economics classes and they would teach you one thing and then you'd go take corporate finance or business finance and they would teach you another thing and one of of the things I really want to hit today is, is why we talk about all this theory because a lot of the listeners um, might, you know, get lost in the idea that there are very, very practical implications to this theory. Uh, but tell me about your, tell, tell the listeners about your experience a little bit. Well, I, I first want to say that if you think this is all just theory and philosophy,
2: um, I, I encourage you to believe because we know that it's true. We've proven it ourselves and seen it in dozens and dozens of lives of our friends that if you understand all this theory and philosophy that we're teaching and you can apply it and live it, you will get wealthy beyond your wildest imaginations. And not only wealthy financially, but your life will be amazingly happy, productive. Um, You'll be surrounded with, with amazing people who are there to make your life better and their own. And it's, it's interesting when you preach the philosophy of win-win, which is really what capitalism boils down to. You get other people who are committed to win-win around you, and life just, just gets really, really good. And I can't think of anything more practical than that. But to speak to your um, question about my experience in school, it, it was interesting because in, in my business finance classes, they were always talking about capital. They were talking about how to efficiently use it, you know how if we've got a resource it could be human resource like a like a person or it could be an intellectual resource like an idea or it could be money or equipment the question was always how can we put this resource to its highest and best use good question mi- missing out on the least oppor- the, the with the least lost opportunity great question and so that that's the essence of the conversation in these corporate finance classes. And I would get out of that class. I would literally walk across the hall to my personal finance class, and all they would talk about would be IRAs, 401Ks, how do you get security, if you put money in an account and forget about it for 30 years, you'll wake up a millionaire someday. They never talked about taking capital and productively allocating it to create value in the economy. They always just talked about how to, how to um, achieve some type of security for yourself. And it struck me as very odd that the two philosophies literally just feet away from each other in the building. At the same university under the, in the same degree-seeking program were exactly the opposite philosophically.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that surprised me is when you you were saying that as I thought about it. I I went to school. It was considered a great business school, University of Denver, and you know, it's funny because when I studied economics there, uh, my economics wasn't as much of capitalism as your business finance was. It was more like your personal finance class, so we'll talk more about that. We've got some callers we're going to get back to. Uh, We've got plenty of things to talk about today here on Free Capitalist Radio, but before we go into this next break, what I wanted to talk about is in chapter one, the very beginning, for those of you who are following along with us in Milton Friedman's book book in chapter one about the relationship between economic and political freedom. Here's what Milton Friedman said, it is widely believed that politics and economics are separate and largely unconnected. Okay, that's that. Why do we talk about politics on here? Listen to this, individual freedom is a political problem and material welfare an economic problem and he says that's not true. These go together and that you have to understand their relationship and we're going to talk more about that when we get back. You're listening to Free Capitalist Radio. I am Rick Kerber. This is the Free Capitalist. Welcome back to Free Capitalist Radio. This is Rick Kerber here with our guest, Les McGuire on Friday, Free Capitalist Radio. Uh, we are talking about a very important distinction here, the relationship between economic freedom and political freedom. I just wanted to finish this quote that we got into right before the break. This is from Milton Friedman. We're uh, talking about capitalism and freedom. Um, he says, The problem is with the thinking that that somehow you can separate economic freedom and political freedom. He's going to talk about it. He says, the chief contemporary manifestation of this idea is the advocacy of what is called democratic socialism by many who condemn out of hand the restrictions on individual freedom imposed by totalitarianism socialism, for example, the former Soviet Union, and those who are persuaded that it is possible for a country to adopt the essential features of socialist arrangements and yet ensure individual freedom through other political arrangements he says The thesis of this uh, position is that such a view is delusional. There is an intimate connection between economics and politics, and that only certain combinations of political and economic arrangements are possible, and that in particular, a society which is socialist cannot be democratic in the sense of guaranteeing individual freedoms. Our our friends who are kind of soft-hearted and always supporting socialism, uh, it's a delusion. Uh, There's a deception there. And before we get your commentary on that, Les, we've got William. He's been holding on here for, for some time. Uh William's calling from Salt Lake City. William, welcome to Free Capitalist Radio.
0: Yeah, uh, hey, I, I just want to challenge what you just said. Okay. That democratic socialism cannot exist. Okay. Great. Explain Britain. Explain Canada. Explain Sweden. Explain Germany. Explain Denmark. Hey, Explain hey, William. Spain.
1: William? William? Yeah. Explain William, we get, we, get, we get your point, but if we explained each one of those, we'd, we'd take two Tell weeks. So, me. Well, what are those countries? Okay. Uh well Les, I'll let you handle I'm going to take the first stab at it. And William, I appreciate the call. It's good for you to, to challenge the idea. Uh one of the one of the principal points of capitalism is um there's a, a continuing... No, we're
0: not talking about capitalism. Well the, the question was explain how these democratic socialist countries like Britain exist.
1: Okay, uh, yeah. If they
0: can't exist together.
1: Great. And I'll explain it, but you've got to give me give well, me a second me, here.
0: Tell me now. Okay, no, Don't go William, into no society. I'd hey, hey, love to
2: tell you now, William, but you got to let us talk. Yeah,
1: w- w- William, two, two, so two rules. Two rules. To spin it. Two, two rules. Okay. Got, you got, got to keep your brain on and your mouth shut for a minute for there to be some dialogue. So give us a break. We, we put you on the air stop now. Stop
0: and you're spinning before it starts.
1: All right. All right. Here's, here, here's how it happens. What happens is you've got capitalism and you've got freedom. You've got a democracy or democratic, republican forms of government. And then the people who um, advocate this type of socialism where we don't need economic freedom to have political freedom slowly begin to give more and more power to the government in the economic sphere. And slowly, slowly these societies begin to suffer a very serious loss of political freedom. Okay, and economic freedom, and what you see right before Margaret Thatcher, for example, the first the first country you asked us to explain, uh, right before Margaret Thatcher came to power, you saw tax rates on investment returns in England up over ninety eight percent. Uh, where, where investors literally had no incentive whatsoever to go into the marketplace. And, and you literally saw this, by the way, throughout Europe. And uh, these type of economic conditions led to the very challenging of these geopolitical structures. World War II was the direct manifestation of socialism gone awry because it hollowed out the political structure of these countries. And you had the National Socialists in Germany, and you had the Communists in Russia, and you had the Socialists economic thought spreading throughout Europe, even into England, and you had such a weakening of the structure that those nation states would not exist today. They would not exist today if it wasn't for the capitalist nation state of the United States of America that had enough economic power left to add some resources into that war, but actually both World War I and World War II, uh, into those wars to preserve their freedoms. And one lesson that people haven't learned is that it took capitalist resources are free people who are free economically and politically to save those kind of eroding socialist states now that's my take on it Les I'll give you your take on it we'll bring William back on here and see if he wants to yell a little bit more well
2: first of all just an interesting observation Um, questions of this kind generally come from guys like William who don't really want an answer they want to they want to postulate a point of view and and he did that well I mean I'm I'm very clear on where where he stands but he he talks as if it's a question but then he will not let you answer and if you start to answer he wants to put boldly put forth his point even further prior to
1: you even answering
2: exactly in in my experience um defenders of freedom are generally willing to let other people be free to voice their point of view but people who oppose freedom don't want to let other people talk (laughs) they want to keep telling you how wrong you are and 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 they don't they're not really interested It, it seems to me like William doesn't really want an answer to the question he's asking because in his mind he's totally convinced
1: that there is no possible answer other than his right and well, let, let's bring William back. I'm going to ask William a question because I am interested in his ideas. If, if, uh, if we can trust you, William, here get, we're going to uh, just increase your volume slowly here to make sure you're being civil. Here's the question that I've got for you, and, and this is you know open air here, and so I ask you to be respectful, but at, tell me the principle. What principle is it that causes you to defend socialism? Just tell me the principle, if you can do that.
0: Okay. First of all, I want to respond to your answer. So what you're saying is that political freedom doesn't exist in places like Canada, France, I Germany, say it's in
1: jeopardy. It, it's Britain.
0: It. So you're saying that those people are not politically free? The, the, well, the, let me tell you something. That is absolutely false. And for you to go back and compare the the England of today, the Germany of today, to uh, the nationalist, the National Socialist Party. In Germany, the Nazi Party is just a ridiculous argument. You what, can't the, even come close. What's the principle? What the, what, the what socialism principle? that exists today that is nothing like the National Socialist of Germany. Okay, well, and the reason we won the war in World War II is because of our industrial base. Okay, that our industrial power, capitalism had nothing to do with
1: it. Uh, okay. Thank you, William. Thank you.
2: I, I, I've just got to stop. What created the industrial power? Yeah. That's what I'm curious I about. I just have to
1: stop him at that point. <laughs> capitalism had nothing to do with our industrial power. William, I, I appreciate your call. I invite you to just do a little bit more thinking uh, about the facts. If, if capitalism had nothing to do with our industrial power, um, uh, you know, I'm not sure we have much to talk about. I, I, don't, I don't understand uh, uh, how you don't see that blatant contradiction. Because of our power in business. We won the war, but that has nothing to do with capitalism. Yeah, and and you know my argument has never been that Canada has no political freedom. Right?
2: Can I read a quote from Milton Friedman from the book we're talking about today that I think um, speaks? William, we may we may have done you a disservice by misrepresenting our point. We're not saying that at any given moment in time it's impossible to have free um, a free political state. With, so, with some socialistic tendencies. Let me read you this quote and then I'll respond to your question, or to what I perceive to be your question at least. Um, historical. This is Milton Friedman. Historical evidence speaks with a single voice on the relation between political freedom and a free market. He says, I know of no example in time or place of a society that has been marked by a large measure of political freedom and that has not also used something comparable to a free market to organize the bulk of economic activity. One problem that we run into when we have this discussion is we need to resist uh, the temptation to talk in terms of absolute. There's no, I don't know that we have any absolute example of free markets now or anywhere in the world or even in the history of the world. And I don't know that we have any Absolute examples of political freedom, either. And when he talks, he's saying, um, he's saying a large measure of political freedom, and something comparable to a free market to organize the bulk of economic activity. See, every economy, every nation that William just referred to, the bulk of economic activity is still determined by individuals. The government in Germany is not telling every single person in the country what their job has to be. Right. You're not assigned a job by the government. It's not in,
1: purely socialist. That's yet. right.
2: In Canada, not every single person in Canada is is assigned by the government what their job should be. Right. See, that would be that would be pure socialism. Pure socialism is where the government allocates all resources of production including human capital. And and if the government Tells you what your job has to be, then your political freedom is gone. Yeah, and if yeah. you can't see that, you're not looking very objectively. Well, but and, in, and it's now, now and William, continuum. you have a great point. You have a great point that it's possible to have. It, it's possible to have largely um, political uh, political freedom to be largely politically free. But that's only the case if you're largely economically free, and what you're what you're saying is compared to the United States these countries have more socialism than we do and that's true but life is not static and what you'll find is a hundred years from now, those countries won't be exactly as they are today. They will be different.
1: Well, and they have less political freedom than Americans do, for sure. Look, you go over to France, and you know we're here in, in Utah, Utah. I'll use a great example of religion, freedom of religion. You still have to have state recognition of your church in religion before you can comply with the law. Okay, if you go over to England, you have to have the government permission to go into business. Okay, they they are capitalists to a degree, but that socialism is large than ours and therefore their freedom is much less than ours. In the other societies he mentioned where they have these healthcare systems, the socialized medicine, the cost of socialized medicine is those people pay over 50% of their income into taxation and so that's a decrease in freedom. If I'm not free to act as I choose, assuming
2: that I'm not hurting other people, if I'm not free to act as I choose, then how can I claim political freedom? Yeah. Which is freedom to govern myself?
1: Well, we're talking about the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals saying that parents didn't have the right to keep, uh, you know, their own uh, views of, of how their children should be educated. Um, they didn't have the right to put that ahead of the public schools' interest. See, that's a lack of political freedom. Now, you know, he our last caller may not have felt this, but if your kids are in school and your teachers are, and those teachers are teaching your kids something that you disagree with and the state says you do not have any political power to stop this that we have an overriding interest you are losing your freedoms but it's just happening slowly 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 one issue at a time and the choice between socialism and capitalism is not really the choice it's the choice between communism and capitalism and socialism is the path that gets you there. It's right. the slippery slope. And 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 I agree with you 100%. We got to be careful because there is no purely socialist state. Even China has recognized that for their communism to survive, they've got to allow uh, market competition in some areas. And and what happens is they've got the dog by the tail here. They they, they can't one pay. one or the other will eventually give. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's a continuum. You're either increasing or decreasing your political freedom. Take as you're increasing or decreasing your economic and
2: taking a snapshot um, of saying look right now this moment you know Germany or Switzerland or Canada we have, or France we have these examples therefore you're wrong uh, you you can't just take a snapshot you, you've got to look at a continuum you've got to look at what happens over time because in the short run I mean I could pick your pocket and for a few minutes I might be a few dollars richer than I was before and we could stop at that moment say look at a snapshot and say hey theft um, co- doesn't cause any problems in society well it does. It just may not cause problems
1: in society 2 seconds after it occurs. Yeah. Well, in, in the in the uh, 1940s, when you took a snapshot, Social Security wasn't hurting us very much and it was great to talk about the possible future benefits, but now when we see entitlement spending by the government so large that it literally threatens the very existence of all other government programs, right. all of a sudden you see over the long term the socialist thinking that we have bought into is starting to have consequences where it's like Livy when he wrote the history of Rome. He said Rome, Rome's downfall happened because they'd reached a point where they could no longer endure their vices nor face the remedies needed to cure them they didn't have the political courage to make the changes to cure the problems but the problems were so large that it was threatening their very survival this sounds familiar yeah I don't think we're there yet folks I this is not the free capitalist radio is not <laughs> not going to tell you that we, the, 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 the show is lost we're one of the things that's so funny is we're winning on so many fronts uh, the socialists are losing on so many fronts and the more and more this generation this, this current generation is ending the workforce they're disillusioned they know that the 401k for less than 5% of the population is enabling, the current retirement planning is enabling less than 5% of the population to even retire and, and, and they're starting to go, wait a minute. you know People in their our, in our 30s and their 40s and their 50s are starting to go, wait a minute, in 10 to 15 years I'm under no illusion that this idea of socialized uh, uh, control or socialized retirement is not working for me and so they're, they are frustrated because capitalism by and large has made many, many inroads over the last 25 years to slow down kind of those 70-year slide into socialism. Well, you know, I
2: think it's neat that we're even able to have conversations like this on the open air. I mean, how many countries in history have even had a, an environment where a caller like William could call in and, and have a discussion with guys like us, regardless of viewpoint, right. and and have that open discussion where we're openly allowed to disagree with each other? If K-Talk was a government-run radio station, one of the two of us would not be allowed on the air. Yeah. Do you realize yeah. that? Or all of us would not be allowed on the air. Well, I mean, even in even in the Soviet Union, I mean, they had radio. Even in Afghanistan, and and, I mean, they they have media, but the media is state-run. Right. And the state determines what goes on in the media. Well, the state is not this amorphous entity somewhere. The state is just a bunch of people. Right. And those people decide what is and is not allowed. Those people decide according to their value system. And what generally happens when state controls um, economic activity is the people in the government enforce their value system on everybody else. Yeah. And so if we had a capitalist running K-Talk radio, then a guy like William would not be allowed on the air. Well, If, the ca- if we had a socialist running K-Talk radio, we wouldn't be
1: allowed on the air. Well, but in I'm, either I- case, the dialogue wouldn't be allowed to occur. I'll disagree with you. A capitalist will allow a socialist on the air. A capitalist will. Remember Friedman's argument that in a capitalist society, the capitalism will tolerate dissent, but what you're saying is, if the government's policy, if the government controlled the radio and adopted a capitalist agenda, mm-hmm. then the government could keep a socialist off the air. For and it's and
2: it's interesting. You hear capitalists always saying that the media is so biased towards socialism or liberal or you know liberalism, and then you hear the the liberals or the political left wing say that the media is so biased towards the right wing. Everybody thinks the media is biased towards the other side. Right. The fact is, we're in America. And, and and I'm not disagreeing that there is some bias, and, and I have my opinions on that, and this, I don't think this is the appropriate place to talk about that. But the, the great thing is we're in a society where freedom is preserved to the extent that we can publicly disagree on the air. I mean, I would start off a conversation with the person who wants to defend socialism to me by saying, isn't it great that we're in a place where we can even have this conversation? You bet. Because if socialism dominated, it
1: wouldn't be allowed. You bet. We would both be at the jobs the government told us we had to be at. Yeah. Well, we've got a caller, Wendy has been so patient, she's been uh, holding for some time. So Wendy, it uh, looks like you had a question for uh, Les and I about whether you can guarantee the results of capitalism. Uh, welcome to Free Capitalist Radio. Wendy, right. go ahead I, and share your I idea. I have a
4: question. I had a comment. That's oh. why I told produce producer.
1: Okay. Please, please. We want to hear your comment.
4: Okay. Um, Nazism was a form of socialism, and I'm afraid that's the direction we're going in today. And talking about socialists, I mean, we mislabel things and that's where we get confused. I challenge you to show me anyone more irresponsible with spending than George W., I mean, this is the most irresponsible president by none. And to my mind, he's a socialist.
1: Yeah, Wendy, you know, I agree with you. It's funny. Um, On social issues and on um, geopolitical strategies, he is often uh, kind of uh, given to the capitalist persuasion and and advocating our self-interest. But in terms of social issues, I cannot believe that Republicans and conservatives, or they call themselves that... um, somehow identify themselves as opposite of the socialists when, when this government has increased government spending and government control. And, and I agree with you. Just because somebody's a Republican or, quote-unquote, a conservative doesn't mean that they're free of the socialist ideology. Well,
4: these guys are not conservatives, and they're not, you know, in, in any sense of the word. And I see a tendency as it went in, in Nazi Germany, so it's going here. Compare 9-11, what happened then, with the burning of the Reichstag. Yeah. there are too many questions about it you know it, it looks very similar and the fact that it facilitated the Patriot Act that takes away most of our freedoms yeah. it's interesting you talked about China and a guy came on K Talk a few weeks ago who'd been in China and he said he felt a lot more free there than he did <laughs> in America you, and with good reason because all these nitpicky little rules that it's just binding us down like the Lilliputians
1: you know Wendy I got I had to tell you I had a funny experience when when I was broke I used to hate going to banks because it seemed like the only time I wanted to talk to somebody at the bank was if something was wrong. My account was overdrawn or you know somehow a check had cleared that I wasn't planning on or whatever. But um, after uh, learning principles of the free market and capitalism and becoming rather prosperous, I went into the bank one day and um, we were trying to get a real estate transaction done before about uh, five o'clock. Oh, you know what, Wendy? I'm sorry. Can you hang on with us through the ba- break yeah. here? Okay, great. If you'll hang on with us through the break, we'll finish this when we get back. Um, This is Free Capitalist Radio, folks. Thanks for listening. All right. Welcome back to Free Capitalist Radio. This is Rick Kerber here with Les McGuire, and we've got Wendy on the line. Wendy, we were just talking about how sometimes we think that the Republicans offer one side and the Democrats offer the other, but President Bush could even be categorized very easily into socialism, uh, given his economic policies and his social policies. I was uh, uh, sharing with you the, this idea that I went to the bank once, and, and to make a long story short, I needed about $25,000 cash to do a real estate transaction by 5 o'clock, and when I went into the bank and asked for $25,000 cash, you would thought I was going to rob the bank. I mean, I had plenty of money in the bank and I literally had to talk to the manager of the bank, I had to talk to the security officer at the bank and then they declined giving me the money and to get, I, your own money. To get my own money and then I learned that it is against federal law all across the United States. For a person to carry more than nine thousand dollars cash on their person without a legitimate purpose, and it's the law enforcement officer. If you happen to get pulled over for a speeding ticket or for whatever reason, if they catch you with more than nine thousand dollars cash on your per- person, it is a crime unless you can prove to the law enforcement officer you have a legitimate purpose to have that cash. And and you know that's that's more of the Patriot Act type of, uh, of freedoms we've given up. And is that the kind of thing you were talking about, Wendy? Uh,
4: yeah, and and this the the Bush has been. Extreme. Extremely detrimental to this nation. Both of them. It's interesting. I heard the other day the meaning of the thousand points of light yeah. was actually there are exactly a thousand Illuminati agents in the United States, and that's what Bush Senior was referring to. These guys are globalists. It's very clear they want to get rid of our sovereignty, our constitution. And Tony Blair a couple of years ago came out openly and said that any nation that wanted to maintain its sovereignty was, you know, very um, antisocial or whatever, or, or, you know, should be under condemnation. And the Bushes are going right along with it, as is our beloved governor, who wants to bring in all this toxic waste and destroy our state.
1: Wendy, uh, Les is dying to make a comment here. So uh, thank you very much, by the way, for calling. Now, please please keep listening to Free Capitalist Radio.
2: Wendy, I appreciate your call, and I want to address uh, this issue. When I I listen to uh, public dialogue, what I hear is people complaining about this politician or that politician. And it's always different politicians. I mean, some people love President Bush. Some people hate him. Some people love President Clinton. Some people hated him. Um, but the, the thing that I think most people don't understand is that politicians are not what drive the country. That's right. The, con- what the direction America is going in is not because of the first George Bush. It's not because of Bill Clinton. It's not because of the current George Bush. It's because of the American people politicians reflect the people of the country yep and I tell you this if the people in the country demanded that we protect the Constitution and if the people in the country demanded that our freedoms be protected if a person like a George Bush or Bill Clinton or anybody came along and wanted to advance what you think is a socialist agenda they wouldn't get anywhere politically yep. the reason and, and it's interesting to me that the that the people who call themselves freedom lovers or capitalists complain about these politicians and yet the politicians just reflect the ideology of the uh, in the minds of the of the citizens yep. and this the way we fix the country is not by electing better politicians the way we fix the country if you think it's broken The way you fix the country is change the mindset of the people. Starting with you. Starting with yourself. And as soon as you change the mindset of the people, the politicians will fall in line, I assure you. Yep. And, and and complaining about politicians
1: accomplishes nothing. Well it's the victim mentality. It's oh geez, and, and I don't mean to insult Wendy. I think she's right on board with I, some of her comments. I agree with her ideologically. I just don't agree with her method of fixing it. Yeah. The the idea here is, folks, that and one of the things that we have learned, both Les and I have learned this and, and we've watched each other as we've worked together, as you change your mind and you become more prosperous as a capitalist, all of a sudden, around you, it increases the sphere of influence you have. And then there are other capitalists around you. And I would venture to guess, Les, that between the two of us, there are probably five to ten thousand people just in our personal sphere of influence, let alone the listeners on this show and at our seminars when we do seminars and our business, you know, all those things. But but that's causing change. Sure. I mean, I mean, we've gotten an audience with some of the major national politicians, with some of the major business people. And I just want to tell you, folks, if you really want to be involved. If you're sick of being a victim, if you're sick of complaining, okay, one of the things you can do is you can begin to turn on your brain and start becoming a capitalist and start acting in your own self-interest. You will be able to prosper more individually, more within your family, and the sphere of people around you will be able to prosper more than any other solution, no matter who you're going to try to elect to politics, and keep trying to elect good people. Keep trying to elect good politicians, but the the key to being able to elect good politicians is to have people who are smart enough who know the difference. So uh, uh, last comment, uh, closing word for you before we go today. For those of you who
2: have been listening to this discussion, for the lay person who doesn't know anything about economics, I just want to define something really simply. Capitalism just says that you get to decide how you contribute to society. Socialism says that the government decides how you should contribute to society. And that's basically the debate. Should I be the one to determine what I do, or should the
1: government tell me what I should do? That's That's, right. That's what it boils down to. Les McGuire, thank you very much. Thank you, folks. This has been a great week on Free Capitalist Radio. Tune in next Monday at 9 a.m. This is Rick Kerber. I am the Free Capitalist.